Okay, we'll start with a nice word right in the beginning of Parshish Terma. Okay, Nidvus HaMishkam. So the word Midbar Kudash, that's from Belzeruf. See, he says, interesting kasha, which I see a few surim talk about this. The, the Torah, um, the Torah lists the, the Nidvus that Eden gave. Zuav, Kesev, Nechoshes. Right, so we all understand that, the, why is it in that order? Zuav, Kesev, Nechoshes. Because gold is more valuable than silver, and silver more than the copper. So it looks like it's going in an order. And you went to the wool and other things. But then at the end, you have Avne Shoyim and Avne Malim. You have the precious stones, the jewels, the gems, which are more expensive than, than gold, more valuable than gold. So if the Torah is going in an order of value, then the Torah should have put the Avunim Toivis in the front. And if not, then why is it being Ozirachman? And there are more ways to explain this question about why it's really out of order, the Zohar Kesev and Choshes. So what he explains is that the Torah, that we know, Chazal teaches, Hankel Kabel Yima, Liyimus Tfilas You know, the Ibishta has a special Chshivas for something that's done by Arabim. When people do things together, when people do things as a klal, right, uh, collectively, there's, there's always more Chshivas to it. As opposed to when someone does something on his own, you know, somebody's in a spal on his own, it's not, it's not the same. That's why we don't feel a bit Sibir, which is more in the Skabal. He says that's why when anything that Sibir gave, the Sibir was giving the Zuav case of Nechoshis and, 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 and all, the other, all the other materials, it was all coming from the Sibir. So that takes its own, has its own chashivas. Everything coming from the tzibur came first, and in that group, the the order was by most valuable to least valuable. Avner Shoyim and Avner Malim, which came from the Nesim, as we know in Parshas Vayakel, we see that that came from the, the Nesim. They were yichidim, didn't have the same chashivas as the tzibur. That's why it went to the end. So interestingly, the pusik says Avner Shoyim before Avner Malim. That is because Avner Shoyim had each one of them had six shvutim on it, and Avner Malim. Only had one each, that was from the Choshen. And, and that's why over there also you see with the Avne Shoyim come before the Avne Malim because it had a certain Chshivas of a, of a Tzibur, which was Maramas of the Achdus, Maramas to the Achdus of, of Kal Yisrael. So that's something we definitely see a, a, a big limit about Achdus and what it means to Hashem, the Chshivas, something coming from, from Achdus. Hava, Achva, Shulmarayas is also Achdus, right? And another thing that we see, and this is something we talk about very often, and that is that it's not so much what you give, it's how you give it. Okay, so in this case, what was being given, Avne Shoyim and Avne Malim, was definitely, the what was more Chushev. When it comes to what's behind it, when it comes to the Kavuna, when it comes to other, other things that, that, that contribute Chushivas to something, it's already a whole different thing. You could be giving Zuhav, and it's more Chushev. Why? One reason is, because there are people giving it. So when the people giving it are adding their Chushivas, and even if it's less valuable, it becomes more valuable. As opposed to something else, so there's, there's more things that there's more things to the equation of what goes first in the line. It's not always what it is. And another thing, interestingly, is that the Nesim they pushed off the Nadova. So when it came when it came to Kolishashid Vani Liboy, whoever's whoever's doing it with feeling and motivation, and they wanted to do it on their own, they came first. So the Zuav case Nachish came first, even though it was less valuable. Later, you you woke up at the end, and I don't mean Chazal Shulam. Well, the Nesim did have to bring a carbon for it, but I mean they don't have to have a kapura for it. But but I mean to say that the idea. That when something comes with chayshik and rutzin, it already has more chashivas, even though something else is more valuable. And this is something you see all the time. You can have somebody who buys his wife the, the most expensive jewelry, and, some, and, and a wife who buys her husband, if there's such a thing, you know, spending that much money without her husband's consent. But I'm talking about where it's not a problem. And she's buying her husband a new car, and doesn't do half as much as somebody who can't afford that, but he, he buys something smaller, for example, a smaller gift, or even just a card and a nice note and a letter, and that costs nothing, but there's, there's the, the hearts and the feeling that, that a person puts into it. So that's something we should understand. And very often people 
People get stuck on that. You know, but I did this, I did that. Don't you see what I did? Don't you see? And, and it's not what you do or what you give. It's how you do it. It's the attitude and it's, it's, it's all the feeling that's in it. And, and that's definitely something that, uh, you know, we should think about. And, and the same thing with children. People a lot of times, they spoil kids and they give kids a lot of things and, and they want kids to understand that, you know, how much I, I spent on that, how much I... And unfortunately, that's not something children can understand. Bechlal, both because they don't have the appreciation for money and value and, 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 and all that and finances. And because, you know, somebody who could show a child, and it's not always easy, it's not always easy, especially with children who don't know how to take it, but somebody who could show, show a child love and care and, and feeling definitely gets a lot further than somebody who throws money and, and gifts and toys and tchotchkes and, and, and spoiling a child, and it's not coming from that kind of, um, you know, that kind of feeling. So that's definitely a, a good lesson we can learn from, from Nidus Hamishka. So I'm going to read a question, and maybe we'll go for just a little bit on a tangent, um, but I think the question is, is, is a good question, and maybe a little short. Hi, Rabbi Guru. I listen to your show every weekend or any time, and they're amazing. Thank you. I have just one question. Okay? Just one question. My father used to chat with me a lot when I was a kid, when I said, okay, I, what, what, I, after, when I would ask a question, when he would answer me, he'd say, okay, now you understand everything. Now you understand everything. When people say that. I, I won't quite, now, now everything's good. So anyway, that's what I'm just reminded of when I see that. I have one question. That's good. If you only have one question, you're doing good. My eldest daughter is six. Six years old, she's kind of very smart. Knows everything they learn, plus she's ahead of the class. But the teachers complain that a lot of times in class she sounds spaced out and doesn't participate. But if they ask her anything, they see that she knows everything she's being taught. So my question is, is it concerning, or should I just ignore it and say that that's her nature and that's how she is? Thanks in advance. Okay? So a pretty simple question, right? My daughter's spacing out, the teachers are complaining, but she really knows everything going on, so is it a problem? Is it concerning? So, let me just first answer the question. Concerning that? No, it's not concerning. It's not concerning. If, you know, if a kid's a little spaced out, but, anybody should, but she knows everything, so then what's the concern? I mean, maybe you'd want her to be more focused, or, or you'd want her to show that she's paying more attention. I mean, she is paying attention, it seems, because she knows everything being taught. So she's not really spaced out. It's not like she's not here. Um, right? I mean, I, that's, what I, that's what I'm understanding. But, um, but we want her to be more focused and participating, and they're complaining, so no, it's not concerning. And the reason why I'm mentioning it so clearly is because very often you see this with children a lot, and even with adults, but with children maybe more, how there's that certain cookie-cutter um, you know, idea that we want all kids to do the same thing and sit the same way and understand the same thing and retain the same amount of knowledge and, and grow and have the same progress and everything. And it doesn't work. And we all know it doesn't work. I mean, that's a, that's a given. Every teacher, every malamad, and every parent knows that it doesn't work. Not everyone looks the same. But very often we tend to look at the exceptions as problems. Right? In other words, the cookie-cutter idea would be that everyone should be doing the same thing, and we could expect the same of everyone, and when one kid's lagging behind a, ba- a bit, this kid's a problem. Now, there are situations that are problematic. I'm not going to say there aren't. Of course, if a kid's really lagging behind, much more than the average, much less than... You know, but sometimes it's just the fact that something's not the way everyone is, which makes it look like an exception to the rule, already looks like a problem. And very often it's not a problem. Very often that's part of the idea that lechatchila... There are kids that will be more focused, there are kids that will be a little more spaced out, there are kids that are more intelligent, there are kids that are a little less, and that's okay. So it's very important to know how to understand and assess what really is a problem, and what really is not a problem, and what is okay to be an exception, because the exception is normal. In other words, don't look at an exception like out of the norm, look at an exception like it's normal to have some exceptions. 
right? They're not mistakes. When you're baking cookies, and, and one cookie came out a little funny, you don't put it in the shachmonas because that was, you know, you weren't, you weren't expecting it, you weren't hoping it should be there, and that's an exception that's not normal. Because it's normal to assume that you can make all the cookies and they'll all look good, I think. I don't bake cookies, but I assume. When it comes to children, the exception is normal. So you, you're, you're supposed to expect a certain exception, and as long as that exception is not out of bounds, it's still considered normal and not a problem. So especially with a kid who's just a little spaced out, but knowing everything, you know, that's very important. So, you know, we have to know a lot of disorders... I'm not all, not all, I don't like when people quote me as saying there's no such thing, but a lot of disorders and a lot of different ideas we use today are based on the idea that nobody should be doing that. Why is he doing that? Well, we know that uh, 10% of children do it. Yeah, but they're, they're all the problem kids. Uh, well, who said? Maybe 10%, maybe it's normal for 10% to do a certain thing. So I'm just mentioning that. Uh, I once heard somebody speaking, I said he doesn't let his wife buy any magazines. Why? Because everything, everything, this is a very separate idea, but everything they talk about, all the different problems that there are out there, all the emotional problems and mental problems, whatever she reads, she thinks she has. And that's how some people live in a certain paranoia of, oh, this is a problem, that's a problem, I think I have it, I think I'm feeling it, I think... And the same thing is when you see a kid doing something a little off, and people get paranoid, oh, I think I have a big problem here. So that's just something to, to mention. And I don't know, you know, when I read the question... What I, what I realized, not from reading the words, but just from hearing the situation, and then looking back and realizing, maybe some people noticed it when I read it, that the oldest child is six. And the oldest child is the one having this issue. So what happens is, Baruch Hashem, thank Hashem. Sometimes you have small families, and they say, little, little children, little problems, big children, big problems, right? When your oldest is six, your biggest problem that you, that you bumped into so far was that your kids are a little spaced out. So you ask, what do I do? This is, I'm, not, I'm not used to this, right? Most people who have children um, ages 18 and up, when they hear somebody say, my six-year-old spaced out, but she knows all the material, they say, okay, next, I need a shidduch. You know, I, I'm not covering the bills. I don't know how I'm going to manage my, uh, I was looking, one of my children is waiting uh, with a chazor shumur infertility or whatever, that's already a, a big, uh, you know, see, your kid's a little spaced out, so what? But when somebody's oldest is six, and that's the biggest problem they encountered so far, I hope, and it should always be that way, that's why it looks like an issue. And, and sometimes little things are little things, you just have to know that. And yeah, I, I once heard this quote, I must have mentioned it, from Rabbi Tversky, he said that his Zayde gave him a bruche when he, by his chasna, that you have a lot of problems in your life. He said, Zayde, what type of bruche is that? You've been to a lot of problems. He said, when a person has a big problem, they only have one. When a person has a big problem, right, that they're waiting for a shidduch, or they don't have money, or, or a health problem, it's a big problem, everything else pales in comparison. When the paint is peeling on the wall, and somebody's waiting a few years for children, they don't see the paint on the wall. They're, they're waiting for children. When somebody can't pay his bill and they shut his electric, he doesn't realize that there's a mosquito in the house. Okay? Because we have a big problem, you only have one. So I think you have a lot of problems. The, the, the paint that's peeling and the mosquito and the supper that's a little cold and, you know, this and that. You know, it, a, lot of, a lot of problems is a good sign. So what I mean to say is there's something you have to be thankful and not, not that I have any reason to assume, like I always say that this question is not. I'm saying, if no, a little problem is a little problem. Okay, so no, let's deal with it. But it's, it's not a major problem, Baruch Hashem, the fact that a kid's a little spaced out. That, that's what I think. Now, if a, if a teacher is complaining about it because there's other reasons to complain about it, then I'm not, I don't mean to be dismissive at all. If I'm going to find out that, all, that this kid's being bullied a whole day because all the kids in the school are ganging up on her saying you're spaced out, I mean, that's an issue. Obviously, but it doesn't sound like that's the problem, and that's why sometimes you just have to be um, happy that there are little problems in life. And the little ones are little ones, and they're nishgefeilich. And in general, let me say this, there are definitely different approaches in life, how to deal with problems. And sometimes you see it in a couple, you get married, and she's coming with her ideas of how to deal with problems based on either her personality herself or what she grew up with. And she grew up in a house where every time you got a cut, you call that sula, 
and everyone stopped, and everyone started, you know, getting ice packs and whatever. And somebody else comes from the house, where even if somebody broke his foot, say, lay down, maybe it's just a sprain, we'll put an ice bandage, you know, there are definitely, definitely different approaches how to deal with problems. So there are definitely people who, when they see, when they get a call from a, a, from a teacher, whatever it may be, they start calling um, hotlines and, and professionals and looking for evaluations or whatever. And there are some people where even if they hear that in second grade the kid can't read yet, okay, but he knows how to read a little, so it's not so terrible. Let's see, maybe, maybe by night we could spend some time with him. There are definitely different approaches to problems. And I'm not going to say which one is right. I'm not going to say which one I have. I'm not going to say which one my wife has. I'm just going to mention that it's okay for different people to react differently to problems as long as it's within bounds. Now, there is something called neglect and carelessness where people could be dealing with big things. And I know, I hear this from Mechamchem. You call a parent and you tell them, you know, your kid's really having an issue over here. I mean, it looks like he's suffering from some OCD and anxiety and he's not helping it. And the like, oh, don't worry. I, I know it's in the family. It's fine. And people that just neglect serious things. And you have people that could get paranoid about every little thing. And, and, and they're calling all day and looking for problems. So as long as it's within bounds, it's okay to have a little different attitude. Okay, So nobody should get offended or take it personal when somebody deals with things a little different than they do and, and that. But I do want to mention something. I don't know if this is the place for it, but I, like I said, I'm going off a little on a tangent because I, want, I just wanted to mention this idea. And a lot of people don't know about it. And I don't want to bring too much awareness because, like I said, then people say, oh, I have that too, you know. But there's an idea that's called Munchausen disorder. I think I'm pronouncing it right, Munchausen. There's a Dr. Mark Feldman, a big mimche in the field. He wrote a few books on this disorder, a fictitious disorder that plays with your mind. And he's actually the first one. I have a course of him, aside that he's a yid. A yid, uh, you know, not a shem but he's, he's definitely a yid. Um, he was the first one that gave me endorsement on my book. So I was thankful to him. He was the first professional that gave me an endorsement on my book. And he's a doctor. And there was a reason why I reached out to him you know, to endorse my book and the topic that I'm talking about in, in, in my book about understanding personalities because I believe that a lot of this had to do with a personality. I still believe so. But the idea of, of Munchausen disorder is it's a fictitious disorder that makes a person um, claim that things are no good or want to claim that she's he or she is not feeling well and is sick and, and suffering from something or whatever it may be. Okay, it's, it's a disorder where people fake symptoms or fake things and, and you see, the funny part is that it's very hard to prove or disprove if the person themselves knows the truth or not. Somebody's always coming to the doctor, somebody's always making believe, and somebody's always having problems, always finding problems, and it's very hard to detect, does this person realize what they're doing, and it's really a bunch of nonsense, or it doesn't even realize it? So, some people have a severe condition of this disorder, and they'll actually be um, um, giving false results in lab tests and, and changing information, and they're doing it, obviously consciously, because they want to manipulate the results and manipulate the, the, the diagnosis or something like that. But then you have people who are claiming that they have symptoms and suffering and going from one test to the next, taking MRIs and CAT scans. And there's no way to know if they really know the truth even. You know, maybe on a conscious level, not. On a subconscious level, they do know. And for whatever reason, people suffer from this kind of fictitious disorder of always claiming that there's always problems. And, and we know, I, I mean, many people know people who are always having problems. There's always something going on. Then there's another part of this, which is Munchausen disorder by proxy, and that is where a parent or a caregiver will always be coming up with problems about a child. Okay, my child suffering from this, my child suffering from that, and taking to doctors and taking for evaluations and taking for this and taking for that. And again, sometimes it's people who are mamish faking things and writing false information because they're trying to get attention or whatever, maybe whatever this disorder is based on, and always coming up with problems. And then there are people who maybe they're convincing themselves. It's very hard to know even, but they always have problems. If people are always claiming my kids have special needs one after the next and I'm having problems and I'm suffering you don't know what I'm going through and you think I do nothing I'm busy running to doctors and every kid has another problem every kid has another evaluation every kid has another diagnosis another treatment another, and then, and then the mother the parent 
often it's a, it's a woman, even though it doesn't have to be, but very often the parent is now a martyr. You don't know what I do for my kids. I traveled to Boston to that one. I went to this one, and I spent all the money, and I went into Choybis to get about... And a lot of that is very unhealthy. Not, not, not just very unhealthy. It's more than unhealthy. So if it's a disorder, or if it's not a disorder, or to what severity you'll be seeing it in someone, or how much of it is real or not real, or conscious or subconscious, there's an idea of people overreacting. And it's not because they're more careful or just an attitude. Like I said, there's different attitudes, how to, how to deal with problems. It's more than that. It's people looking for problems. It's people loving problems. It's people who the second a kid was a little spaced out, I think she has a problem, go for evaluations, and you always come up with something. Right? I mean, whoever tried evaluations will come up with something. I don't know if it's mamish, um, whatever. If, if it is ASD or it's not ASD or it's this or it's that. And, and sometimes you have to realize that's not a healthy way to go about things. So again, I went off on a tangent, not because I think this questioner has this problem. Right? To me, it was a good questioner. Maybe a 26-year-old mommy who, who you know, just got a call from a teacher about a kid spaced out and just asking my opinion, which is fine. But I'm saying there is, such a, there is something about overreacting to small problems. So when you have a very small problem, you think, Hashem, that you have small problems? which is inevitable, and, and, and sometimes you just move on. Now, with, with, with that said, let's, let me go just to the other extreme for a minute. There are people who overlook problems and don't deal with problems because they're lazy. There are people who don't have time to get a hook with something. So they get a call, or they see something's wrong, and they just like, push it under the rug. Um, they don't want to... And they start justifying and rationalizing, no, it's not so this, not so that, and, 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 and you know, they play down the severity of whatever is going on because they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it. I once said a joke about the... I've said again the joke about the principal who was in a crisis, and he went through a difficulty. He had to leave the, the school, and a new principal came in. He asked, "What do I do?" They don't worry. I left an envelope, three envelopes. First crisis, you open the first one. Second one, you open the second, third. So you're, you're good to go. You don't need any more guidance than that. Okay. The first crisis happens, and everyone's up in arms. The parent body, whatever. And he remembers, "Oh, I have an envelope. What do I do?" Everyone's calling, complaining. He opens the first envelope. Says, "First crisis. Just ignore it. It will go. It will pass." Okay, beautiful piece of advice. He doesn't pick up the phones, everything passes. Uh, a few months later, another crisis, the whole staff, the whole faculty, everyone's going crazy, and he doesn't know what to do. He opens the second envelope, ignore it. Just go, it's fine, don't worry, it will pass. Okay? Then a few months later, the whole student body, everyone's going nuts, and nobody's coming to school, and everyone's misbehaving, and mom is the place is turning upside down, nobody knows what to do, he's getting calls. He reaches the third envelope, and it says, if you reach the third crisis, you could prepare three envelopes for the next principal and start packing your bags. And that's what happens sometimes with people. You know, they have crisis and they just roll it under the thing and, 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 okay, you push this off, push that off, and eventually things build up. So all I'm trying to say is that going to the extremes of looking for problems and making, a, 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 you know, a huge thing out of this little problem, uh, issue out of a tissue, as they call it, or ignoring problems because you don't have courage to deal with it and you're just hoping that, you know, it's fine, things will just sort itself out. Neither of those are good approaches. So you definitely want to be responsible and deal with things the right way. Our kids are everything, and they're worth every effort. And, 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 and don't be lazy. You know, don't, don't be irresponsible. Now, let me just go back to the letter over here. It says, um, my, question is, my question is, is it concerning, or should I just ignore it and say that it's her nature? So I'm just going to pick up the word ignore it. And I don't, again, I don't mean to get um, nitty-gritty and nitpicking. I just mean to bring out a point. Ignoring things isn't the right term to use. You ignore something. It basically means, okay, next. It's a it's nature of my child, my child's personality. I'm ignoring it. This is my child, and that's what's going to be. It's the wrong attitude. Ignoring things means you don't, you don't care, and you don't get a hope it. You know, you don't have time to deal with it. Making a, a, being concerned about it, as if a child's personality, in general, or a child's nature is concerning, and have to fix it, that's also no good. So there is definitely a middle way, and the middle way is, I talk about this often, understanding a child, accepting a child for who he is, understanding that you may never change him, 
understanding that even trying to fix him and change him might already be a wrong message, both for him and for you, a message of disappointment, a message of being unhappy and, 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 and you know, disappointed in the child, and all that is no good. You, know? you want to make a child feel very good with what he's doing. You want to work within the capability and capacity and limitation of a child's nature. Right? And I don't mean to say that he's you know, dysfunctional and he won't get anywhere. I mean to say that he just wants to be reasonable. So trying to tell a kid, you know, you're a little spaced out, let's focus more. Eh, it wasn't so good. I want you to focus even more. And keep on and you're pushing a child to be very, very focused and very, very alert when it's Bakhlam, not the child's strength. And the child knows everything going on in school. The child doing well academically and so and socially. And you're just pushing because you want this child to look like his or her brother or his or her sister or classmate, that's very wrong. So ignoring it is not the right thing. You want to work within whatever a child could do and promote good stuff. You know, you want to you want to keep on complimenting a child for what they're doing. You want you want to keep on giving incentives. You want to pick up on every, every little amount of progress that a child is doing and is capable of doing. Like a big deal about it instead of saying instead of complimenting all the potential that a child could be getting, which is also a message that they're not good. You know, you want to work with a child and accept a child and bring a child to to the, and every person. You know, to to reach their their capabilities all the way without ever making them feel like you're settling and you're, and you're unhappy. So the, the word ignoring and just letting a child run on his own is not good, but you don't want to be concerned and you, want to, you don't want to look to fix people. I was talking with parents last week and we a child who the parents understood the child and they knew that this child, like I always often talk about the fragile children, right? Very, very sensitive children. And the parents knew that. And the parents had been clear with this child for many years up to, let's call it, 6th, uh, 7th grade, because they were very careful not to be too pushy and not to be too controlling. And the child went to a new kita, a new class, and the Rebbe, the first day already, was very tough on the kids. And the child came home, traumatized, this Rebbe's no good, I don't know what to do, and the Rebbe already screamed at me the first day. And the, children get, and the parents made a phone call to the Rebbe the first day. said, no, Chazashul, not to complain, nothing wrong with what you're doing. I know a lot of people don't like when they hear that. The first day you called the Rebbe? Okay, but the kid came home very unhappy, right? And, and it was comparably... You know, very different than, than the previous years. I said, my child's a very sensitive child. Don't push, don't be tough. He'll do whatever you want. We know from experience. We'll tell you how to work with him, but just, you know, try to be a little easy on him. And the Rebbe says, you know, you don't know. You don't know. I, I toughen up these kids. I don't like kids that can only handle, you know, certain this. I do it, I do it the right way. You'll see. Give me three weeks, and you'll have a different kid. The same kid that couldn't tolerate any kind of authority, any kind of whatever. I'm going to toughen them up. You'll see, he'll be fine. Give me three weeks. Parents knew that this is not going to work. Okay, and maybe they tried it at home. Maybe I don't know why. Maybe they saw other people do it. They knew it's not going to work. They called him now. I said, you know, I don't mean to complain the first day of Chayder, but you know, we had this conversation with the Rebbe, and I'm really afraid it's not going to work. What do we do? Now, so listen, the Rebbe is known to be a little tough, and I know that this caused problems in the past. But I can't fight with a Rebbe the first day of Chayder. You have to understand. Give me, give him three weeks, and after three weeks, if it doesn't work, and, and you're right that your child can't handle it, then I'll be able to tell him, you know, it's not working. The parents didn't have a choice, obviously. And, and I'm sure people listening to this are going, like, okay, maybe, I mean, that's normal. What can you really do, right? You can't, you can't, you can't make people listen to you. You're saying to a Haidi, you're saying to a Rebbe, it's experience. And now, when I heard the story, it's two years later, the child still didn't recover from those three weeks. It was three weeks, and a child was put down, and he was, not, not in a bad way, I'm not talking about a Rebbe who was being Mavaza, a child, and shaming him, but he was tough on him, and he, and he called him out on every little thing, and when the child got insulted, he said, what are you being insulted, you're a big boy already, you're in sixth grade, seventh grade, it's not for you, and he did what he did, and when those three weeks were over, the kid was so shot, and he hated his Rebbe so much, and by that time he hated his class, because he was already embarrassed with the other kids, and he hated going to hide it, and it's two years later, and the kid never recovered, he's still a problem kid, and he wasn't up until that point. Now, I don't mean to blame the Rebbe. I don't mean to blame them now. I don't mean to, to take sides. I mean to say 
That sometimes you have to deal with the personality of a child. Fighting the kid and trying to change him and trying to work him out and, and, and refurbish, not only doesn't work, it causes damage. So when a kid is a little spaced out, and like I said again, and he's doing well academically, doing well socially, he's being matzliach, and nothing's a problem, and you're going to keep on pointing out this point to him, you know, you can be focused more. I want you to be focused more. I'll give you a candy if you focus more. You can focus even better. Other kids are focused more. I know you know the stuff, but when you space out, like it's not good. You know what you're doing? You're telling kids he's no good. And maybe that's his way of listening. Maybe he's not that very focused kid. Maybe he focuses by spacing out. You know, so sometimes you have to remember that trying to change kids is already the wrong way to go. So you don't ignore it. And you don't, I'm saying you don't ignore issues in general, but you don't have to be concerned. You have to work with them. And that's definitely something to... Uh, so getting back to the point, I do believe that this is a relatively small problem. And Bukhshan, that's not concerning at all. And, you know, how I nobody should have uh, bigger problems. But remember, you work within what's, what's natural for a child. And you try to help them. And yes, yeah, I don't mean to say... Like I, I just want to say it one more time. The ignoring would be, let the kid go his own way. It doesn't have to be like that. Maybe the kid could grow. Maybe the kid could be more focused. Maybe you could try to give an incentive to the kid without without emphasizing the problem. Maybe you could say to the kid, you know, a lot of times when I'm saying, um, I like when, when people are holding along, whoever does will get a candy, and the first second the kid looks inside, you give a candy already. You, you could try to work with a kid, but without making it up into a problem and without being concerned about it and trying to fix it outright. You know, and, and, and there's definitely a lot that, that could be said about that. So I think that, you know, accepting children and learning to work with them and then saying it's not always what, like we started off, it's not always what. So it's not always the kid that's more focused, it's who it is and how much a child's staying in the chun and overexerting himself, that has to be appreciated. And I think that we understand that and accept people the right way, we will be able to see nachas from each and every one of them. And I just so